Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he promised, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you permission to lay down the things that have been wearing you out and weighing you down. To give them to him. And somehow, someway, the Lord has the ability to lift those burdens and clear the fog in our minds and fill our hearts with a sense of peace and a sense of hope. Now, around this place, we, we don't play the game that if you're really a good Christian, you're never going to have any struggles. You're never going to have any bills to pay. You're never going to have to make a trip to the doctor. You're, you're never going to have a tire to go flat or your transmission to go out. Jesus said, in this world, we're going to have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. I am bigger than the world. So when the world does what the world is going to do, while it has a shot at us down here in this life, we have permission to take those troubles and those trials and those difficulties to take them to the Lord. And it's amazing how when we do that, when we, we hand that stuff over to him, commit our way unto the Lord, David said, trust also in him and he'll take care of it, he'll do it. It's just amazing how practical and how personal the love of God for us really is. He doesn't just talk about loving the human race in general, he loves you in particular. And sometimes he, I just believe he allows these things that we can't figure out and too heavy for us to carry to happen so we can learn how to start taking them to him. And then when that happens, it dawns on us, you know, if he didn't, if he didn't care about me, he wouldn't help me. If he didn't love me, he wouldn't be concerned about me. And we have a way of, of learning more about him even through the struggles and troubles that we go through. Now, I, I want to say this. This is just kind of a pastor talking or maybe a dad talking. If, if you hang around here, if you hang around here, we're not going to be talking to men and making jokes about how you can cheat on your wife and how to find another good-looking woman somewhere over here, and God will be okay with that. We're not going to be talking to you about how to, how, to, how to cheat your way to success in the business world. Our goal is to help each other live life, strong marriages, strong families, businesses and, and workplaces, and when we're involved, that honor the Lord. We know you can't teach a Sunday school class every time you go to work. You can't hold a Bible study in every, at every coffee break. But when the life of Jesus is working inside you, and somehow you get to rub up against the shoulders and be around some other folks who are working like you work in the, in the city where you work, 
living in the area was where we all live. And somehow there's just a sense of encouragement that, you know, God really is alive. Jesus really is real, that, that he is answering prayer and he does stuff and it, and it, and it works to live for him. It, it, it's the right way to live, to live for him. Uh, now that's, that's the heart of Alamo City. We, we, we wanna we feel like we're a family. We're not a show church, you know, we're not a show church. What you see is what you get here. Some, some days chicken, some days feathers. You know, some, some days it's going good and some days we're struggling. But, but the, the, the honest part about that is that the Lord cares about us where we are on this day and he'll care about us where we are on Wednesday. And, and the, the, the important thing, the blessing about being around other brothers and sisters in Jesus who are into the, into the real Jesus, not just the, the fake plastic Jesus, but into the real Jesus and really, really wanting to learn of him from his word, is it just, you just incur, get encouraged to live authentically, to, to live in a real way. So I don't know why I needed to say that, but I just wanted to get that, get that said. That this isn't show church. We're not playing anything. We, we want to help you. We want, we, want, we want to help men to love their wives and wives to put up with the husband that you got, you know? And, and for, for us to learn how to love our children, the knuckleheads that we've given birth to, because we are knuckleheads, they also are knuckleheads sometimes. Hardheads give birth to hardheads. And, and, and that's just all a part of the mix. So what do we do? How do we navigate those waters? Well, we try to do it seeking the Lord and knowing that he's full of mercy and that, that he has definitely our hearts in the middle of his heart. And, and so we, we move on through life together. Now, let me give you, let me give you a verse of scripture. We're going to get to the, the main point of things and, and, and my part of it today. This is Proverbs chapter 3. And we're real familiar with verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, look to him and he will make your paths straight. Two verses down in verse nine, he says this, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And then he says, my son, do not reject the discipline or the training or the instruction or the correction of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. One of my favorite themes is how to help God's people, especially up and coming couples and up and coming singles and ones who maybe hadn't had a chance to see this work yet. It, it, one of my favorite themes is how to get God in the center of your finances. I know this is church and I know I'm a preacher and I'm not a banker and I'm not a financial lawyer or a, or a wealth manager. I just know what the word says. And I believe the word is just spot on and flat out clear that there are specific ways to place God's power, God's might, God's love right smack dab in the center of your finances. 
so that you're not having to worry, you're not having to wonder, does, does, is God with me? God, can I talk to him about that transmission that went out? Can I, can I pray about the opportunity for this house over here or this situation over there? And instead of having to wonder if God cares, there are ways to establish him in the center of your finances. And you have a right then to be able to bring up things to him that have to do with your financial life and picture. And, and this is just one of the many places in the scripture that say, here's how you do it. Here's how you put God smack dab in the middle of your finances. Honor the Lord with the first of your wealth, he says here. And from the first of all your produce. So and then he said, here's what he'll do. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In other words, if we honor the Lord by giving off the top, instead of, well, if there's anything left, I'll flip you a quarter, God. If there's anything left, I'll slip a dollar in the plate. Forget that. That dishonors him. Now, I'm, I'm just talking to you as a dad. I'm talking from the word. I'm not a financial manager, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Do you hear me? I'm telling you and, you and 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 you. The word of the Lord is explicit when it says, if we will honor him with our, the finances that he blessed us with, he will honor us. We have no right to bellyache. We have no right to whine, God, why don't I have more? If that which he's blessed us with, we've not begun to honor him with right then. That first 10% belongs to God. The first 10% belongs to the Lord. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you can establish the Lord dead center in your finances and have the freedom and the joy to bring to him from that perspective everything that concerns you financially when you, have, you are honoring him out of that which he is blessing you with today. To say, well, I'll honor God when I get a raise or I'll honor the Lord when I get this company built. Honor the Lord right now, today, start it now. And you just watch, you just watch in time what'll happen. Man, I got wound up on that. I wasn't even planning on it. I just wanted to read that verse and just kind of move on. And, but there's, somebody's needing to hear that, that there, there can be a breakthrough. There can be a, there are levels of provision and measures of opportunity. Honor the Lord so that he will honor you. If you're not honoring him with your finances, you have no right to bellyache. You have no right to whine. God, why hadn't you done more? When he would look and say, here's what I've blessed. You be faithful in little. You be faithful at this level. And I'll make you faithful in much. Oh, okay. Let me reel that back in. It was supposed to be talking today about hope for hardheads. Hope. For hard, anybody in here want to raise your hand and say, I am a recovering hardhead? <laughs> I, th I, think that's just, it, I think that's just most of us. Now, you don't have to be a big mouth hardhead. You can be a real quiet hardhead. You don't have to be an old hardhead. You, you can be a 10-year-old hardhead, can't you? You don't have to be married. You don't have to be single. 
as if any one particular gender or one particular lot in life qualifies. Here is the definition of hard, straight from the dictionary. Solid, firm, resistant to pressure, not easily broken, bent, or pierced. A hard head. Solid, firm, resistant to pressure. I have a conclusion, or it is known about it, they have a conclusion. And it may be a logical conclusion, most of the time it is within those hard head categories of our life. It makes perfect sense to us. It's a conclusion of the thought, it's a conclusion of the emotion. It can be a conclusion that comes out of the past. It can be a conclusion that comes from trying to weigh the possibilities in the present, but it, it results in a firm, solid, difficult to be bent conclusion. And that's how we live our lives in that category of our lives. It's possible not to be a total hardhead, but a partial hardhead. In other words, you're open to instruction, you're open to correction, you're open to new information in maybe nine out of 10 categories of your life. But there's one that it doesn't matter, wouldn't matter if the Pope himself, it wouldn't matter if a Supreme Court justice, court justice showed up on your door, knocked on the door and said, this is how, you've already got your mind made up. You've already got the conclusion drawn. Now, don't be looking at anybody now. Don't be doing this. It's possible to be a hard head in one category of our lives. That depending on its prominence in our lives can have the potential of influencing every other area of our lives. Here's the Bible character that I want you to look at with me this morning. I want you to find the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. And I want you to find chapter 11. 2 Samuel, chapter 11. Hard heads have not necessarily always been hard heads. You, you can become a hard head. And the hope in this is you can get over being a hard head. You can move past a hard head into a place of freedom, into a place of refreshing and rest. Now just let me start reading this. We're going to be jumping right into the middle of the life of a man named David, King David of Israel. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab, the general of his armies, and his servants or soldiers with him and all Israel, all the armies of Israel. 
And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? One of David's proven and trusted fighting men. David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I'm pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, the general of the army in charge of the battle, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to David, came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people or the soldiers and the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go down to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing, said Uriah. Then David said, stay here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him. David ate and drank before Uriah, and he, David, made Uriah drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with, the Lord, with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Now watch this. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, the general of the army, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab 
kept watch on the city, watching the battle, that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men, valiant enemy warriors. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. How did David become such a hardhead? Listen to these words that David wrote. Some years previous, at the time when Saul, the king that he would replace, had been killed, David's battles and his fight to survive with all of Saul's hatred toward him, that is past now. His enemies are scattered. He's now moving in at 33 years of age to become the king over Israel and Judah. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. He sent from on high, verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the, channel, the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his ordinances were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness." according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes. How in the world 
can a man who writes things like that, and they're true at that time in his life, turn into this other person who out of the Ten Commandments, he's breaking four of them in this one encounter. Coveting his neighbor's wife, lying, adultery, and murder. How do you go that far? How do you make that vast of a swing? And I'm talking to some folks in this house who would say, that's my story. I knew better. I knew it wasn't right. But somehow, I was so stinking hard-headed. I wouldn't listen. I had to have what I thought I had to have. I felt it. Therefore, it was absolutely true. The problem with being a hard head is threefold. The first part is you develop tunnel vision. All you can see is the speck on the tapestry of your life that you're in right now. Nothing else matters except how that's going. Tunnel vision, and then, then, then you, get, you, get a, you get a cold heart. A hard heart means a cold heart. Cold toward God, that was David, somewhere along the way. Did he get tired? Had he been wounded so many times by what people had said and done to him? That he, or, or was it this, this craving for significance and, and a superiority? And so here's a woman and so I prove it. And we, we don't know what it was. But, but whatever it was, it started long before he took that walk around the roof of his house. Somewhere back there, his heart had started to get cold toward God. The one whom he knew was his strength, whom he knew was his benefactor to the ultimate sense, that everything David had, God had given to him. His heart was warm, his heart was on fire, his heart was sensitive and tender. In those days, but it had grown cold. And as his heart grew cold toward God, it fit that his heart would grow cold and insensitive and careless about people. People were only good as long as he could use them to accomplish his vision, his goal, his desire. Hard-headed. The third problem with being a hard-head is that you are living, you have placed yourself on a slippery slope. It, it may be wrong 
whatever it is, like with David, he had to have known it was wrong. Theoretically, it was wrong. According to the scripture, it was wrong. But it was just wrong for everybody else. Somehow he had an excuse. Somehow he had permission. Wrong for everybody else, but not necessarily wrong for me. And so when that kicks in, anything goes. Even murder. And in the distorted, hard-headed mindset of David in those days, in this season in his life, murder was an option. Cover your tracks. I sent him home to sleep with her. He wouldn't do that. I couldn't get him. I couldn't get him to go home so he would cover my tracks. And the only thing left is to just eliminate him. And he did. This is the same guy who was saying, I love you, Lord, with all my heart. You are my strength. And in those days, he understood that it was because of the choices that he'd made to try to honor the Lord, that the Lord was rescuing him, that the Lord was favoring him. And somewhere along the line, he threw that stuff in the trash can. He walked away from that kind of life and he became so absolutely consumed with his own way and what he wanted and what he felt and what he thought was right, what he thought he had coming to him. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Let me offer four aspects of hope for the hard head. Four aspects of hope. Four steps toward hope for the hard head. Here's number one, God sends a voice to expose. Look at chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was no stranger to David. Nathan was known to David. Nathan was known as a prophet of the Lord, a man of God. Nathan was a man whom David respected, at least in his former life before this came up. But you talk about raw boned courage. You talk about the ability to get your own fears under control as Nathan had to do, and walk into the presence of a man who literally would have in a human sense the power of life or death over you, or imprisonment or freedom. 
and to look him in the eye and say the things that he was fixing to say. You talk about courage. I'm going to say to you, when God sends a voice and you happen to be the voice, it's your vocal cords that he chooses, it's your lips that he chooses, then you'll need courage. You'll need a strength and a fortitude like maybe you've never known. But if God calls upon you, if that's what he's assigning you to do, you can bank on it. It'll be there. He'll give you what you need. Now listen to what Nathan said to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, Nathan speaking, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. And it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. And was like a daughter to him. The little ewe lamb was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him, Nathan continues. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. That's one of the problems with being a hardhead. You can see the wrong in everybody else's situation. You can feel the weight, the intensity of the injustice toward the innocent out there. You just don't have a clue to what you are doing to the innocent around you. He says, as the Lord lives, surely the man who's done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Hard-headed just won't eliminate compassion everywhere. It'll just eliminate compassion when it relates to your zone of hard-headedness. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added, added you many more things than these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. 
Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, that's the first time that he has opened his mouth to admit that he was wrong about any of the conditions and situations in this. I have sinned against the Lord. At that point, David's life was in more of a balance. He was at more of a crossroad than any other time in all of his history. If he had rejected the voice of the Lord, if he had shut down the messenger, railed against the messenger, then here's the rest of the story for David. The scripture says, the way of the transgressor is hard. You don't break the commandments of God. They break you. You don't break the law of gravity. Crawl up on this roof. Flap your wings like a seagull and jump off. You won't break the law of gravity. The law of gravity will break you. In this case, with David, he knew what God had said. He knew that the word is true. He knew that the God with all power was backing his word. And yet somehow, some way, in some stupid series of moments in his life, like we all have found ourselves in the middle of, if we're honest, in one way or the other. So, well, I know God says, but. I know what the Bible says, but. I know what's right, but. And then we start proving, through our own experience, that the way of the transgressor hard. You find out more of that as David declares his heart, unveils his heart in Psalm 51. But let me finish reading this. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I'll take your wives and cause them to be exposed and and ravished in broad daylight. You did it secretly, but all this thing before Israel I will do. Then David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin and you shall not die. 
However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. God sends a voice to expose. Now, it may be massive, like in the case of David, where it affected everything about him. Everything, every area of his life would be affected by this. But folks, listen, it can be some small something. It can be some attitude about another ethnic group. It can be some attitude about some particular choice in life. It, it can be it could be anything. But we become so dogmatic, so settled, so convinced, so unmovable. But whatever that conclusion is, is preventing us, we're shackled by the conclusions. We're imprisoned by the opinions. God and his love for us. God loves hard heads. I mean, you know, he, if he couldn't work with a hard head, he'd have a, he'd have a real short personnel supply. There are a lot of hard heads in the Bible. There are a lot of hard heads in the church that God comes to in his mercy and his compassion, and he sends a voice. And the voice will say, will speak the heart of God, the truth of God, the love of God, the life and the freedom of God into that place that we're just so convinced. At that point when the voice is heard, we got a choice. We can kill the messenger or we can respond to the truth. And I want to look some of you in the eye. I don't even know who I'm looking at. I'm just, just looking at all of us, looking back at me. That we've got blind spots, folks. They're things that we can't see about ourselves. We can come across to people in ways that we don't even know we come across in that way. And our hidden attitudes can affect opportunities for relationships, and they are shackles. Do you hear me? Your hard-headedness becomes a shackle, and it imprisons you from being all that the Lord has in mind for you to be and to do. What? if you're wrong? What if your conclusions are flat out wrong? What if your opinions, though they may be justified by all kinds of things in the past, what if the opinions are exactly opposite the opinion of God on the situation? You say, well, that's just a bad thing that David did what was leaving the sight of the Lord. What if you and I are doing what is evil in the sight of God? Because of some hard-headed attitude, some hard-headed pursuit, some all me, all, it's all me action in my life. God sends a voice to expose, but he also sends his spirit to convict. Sends his spirit to convict. Nathan did a number from the outside in. The Holy Spirit of God does a work from the inside out. Skip over to Psalm 51. I'll just reference this. won't try to read all of it. But when you start reading down through this, and this is written after a year. This is, this is written 
when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, you can see there's a subtitle for the chapter. Psalm 51 is the other side of hard-headedness with David. This is what he came to. This is what he came to understand again and to believe again. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Don't be gracious to me according to what I've done because I hadn't done a thing right. I'm not asking for your kindness because I tried hard, because I, because I, I, I messed up this one time and I won't ever do it again. He just... Be gracious to me, God, on the basis of how lovingly kind you are in your heart, not because of anything in me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only, I have sinned. No excuse. He's not blaming it on Bathsheba. What's she doing bathing on her roof? Not blaming it on anybody else. Not blaming it on dead daddy. Not blaming it on a, a mother who's somewhere else. Not blaming it on a boss anymore. Not blaming it. Not blaming it. Not blaming it. Accepting it. <laughs> I'll tell you, hard heads don't like that. But when hard heads have, have begun to realize just how hard this life is, trying to maintain my position of hard-headedness, how lonely that is, how empty that is, how hollow that is, how hard that is. And God, by his spirit, is loving us and blessing us enough, and he just starts working on the inside of us. He starts causing us to see how wrong, how wrong, how narrow, how selfish I was. Where is that going to come from? That's going to come from the heart of God. It is the Spirit of the Lord, Acts will say, that convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When God pours out His Spirit, that's how we pray for hard heads, you know. Lord, just send your Spirit. Pour out your Spirit, Lord. It is a function of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me against you and you only. I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David's going to look toward the future as he speaks that statement because Nathan has told him the sword is not going to depart from your household. That there'll be trouble that'll come up from within you, within your family, from your own kids, from on the inside. And it will be because of the seed that you've sown. There's a harvest coming back for the seed that you planted. God is not mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. Be forgiven. And a wonderful measure of restoration will come. But the law of the harvest, the law of the harvest is real. So David says... You're blameless when you judge. You're justified when you say what you say about me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me so I'm not wavering, I'm not chasing stuff. 
I'm solid and I'm steady after you. Renew a steadfast spirit. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In other words, I know what it is to be rescued by God. He's rescued me. He's picked me up out of the miry clay and he's set my feet on a rock. I know he's able. Lord, restore to me the joy of knowing I'm rescued by you. Even though I'm guilty, even though I'm a sinner, even though I'm guilty of murder and adultery and all those. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways. and Sinners will be converted to you because I can tell them my story, what you've done in my life. And it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. When a hard head becomes a broken heart, there's hope for the hard head. Now, broken doesn't mean sad all the time, droopy all the time, doesn't have enough strength emotionally or otherwise to get them to take another step. Broken means that the parts that were in opposition this way have been smashed, crushed, stomped on, ground. Broken. The places of resistance, the places of stubbornness, the places of hard-headedness, broken. But it also carries with the idea of a horse that's broken. You break a horse not to kill the horse, not to diminish the horse's strength, but to channel the horse's strength so that whoever is riding on the back of that horse is able to tap into the muscle power and the strength and the skill of that horse just by the slightest move of their hands or their feet. God delights not in our brokenness to the point of not being able to function, but our brokenness to the point where he can one more time control us and lead us and Lead us in the way of blessing. Am I in here by myself? God sends a voice to expose. God sends his spirit to convict. Three. God leaves consequences to prevent God leaves consequences to prevent. Nathan's word to David were these. The Lord has forgiven you. You won't die. But because of what you have done, the sword shall never leave your household. From within your own children, from within your own family, trouble will come. Now, there was a limit to that. That was in David's immediate context because the long-term effect was that Jesus himself, Jesus of Nazareth, 
was a direct descendant of David. So there was a limit to the coming in of the harvest, the bad harvest, the painful harvest. But while it was that season, it came in. A son raped a daughter. The brother of that daughter from another mother waited two years. His name was Absalom and took vengeance against the half-brother or brother that had violated his sister, his blood sister. As time goes on, Absalom, saying, described as the most handsome and charismatic of any male, any man in Israel at that time, he rose up against his father, David, succeeded in stealing the kingdom from him. David and his household are having to flee from his own son only for it to turn out that a battle rages and Absalom with his long hair is riding on his donkey and he gets caught, his hair gets caught in the limb of a tree and, and David's generals find him and pierce him through with the death and death and chaos and trouble, but forgiven. And the plan of God for the rest of David's life would still be intact. When God spoke the covenant promises to David, he knew what was coming. And the power of God to promise supersedes anything that can happen in the meantime. God's promises cover the challenges and the reversals in the meantime. But David watched sons be killed, his throne taken, only for it all to be restored in the timing of the Lord. So why is that? Why, I mean, we put that, we stated it this way. God leaves consequences to prevent. Here's what that does. God has a way of allowing some things to remain in our lives that cause any thought, any hint at a return to the former places of hard-heartedness to immediately vaporize. That right there was caused by this right here. I don't ever want this right here to ever happen again. Therefore, I won't go there ever again. Practical, literal, verbal, physical, empirical data and evidence and presence. His mercy creates those things. So we won't ever think that way or choose that choice ever again. It's his mercy. It's his mercy. It's his mercy. It's his mercy. The last thing is this. God sends a voice to expose. God sends his spirit to convict. He leaves consequences to prevent. But God also reminds 
creates and restores. You, you, you read Psalm 51, and you're reading the account of a man who, has some, who is somehow familiar with the ways of God. He's somehow familiar with the things of God. He's known what it is to, to, to walk with the Lord and to praise the Lord and to have companionship with folks who also know the Lord. God, by His Spirit, is reminding the heart head. Here's what you had. Here's the way it was before. And somehow the reminder the reminder in the timing of God at work in the heart pulls that old hard-headed heart back to the place. And remembering, remembering, remembering. I don't know how many times I've heard folks, grown folks, say, you know, I started hearing some of those songs again, Pastor. I started hearing amazing grace. I started hearing as the mountains surround Jerusalem, Lord, surround us. I started hearing those thoughts. I started seeing faces again. I got to feeling hugs again. I, I was there all over again, but physically I'm out here a million miles from that. But God was reminding me. And as he was reminding me, he was loving me. And as he was reminding me, he's drawing me back, drawing me back, drawing me back, drawing me back. One of the works of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus would say, is that he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit has a job assignment to remind us even when we're hard-headed and a million miles away. But then he creates... He creates. There are two Hebrew words, two verbs. Both are translated create. One is to create out of nothing, create ex nihilo. That's a part of what is spoken of in Genesis. He took nothing and made something out of it. But there's another word, and it's the word that's used here. It's to create something new out of chaos. Create something new and beautiful and fresh and wonderful and full of life out of a garbage dump, out of a trash heap, out of chaos. That's the word David's talking about. Created me, oh God, out of the junk of my life, out of the trash of my heart, a clean heart, a clean heart clean heart. You're the only one who can do it. I can't wash myself. You're going to have to wash me. I can't fix my mind, but you can, God. You can. You did it before. You can. You can. You can. Created me a clean heart. Oh, God, and then to restore. I got to leave you with this, this little passage. I want you to know it's in your Bible. Isaiah the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, I'll finish with this. Seek the Lord, this is verse 6, Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
And then he says, let the wicked forsake his way. Let the wicked abandon his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, for he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And the context for that is that the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and let him return or her return to the Lord because the Lord will have compassion on him and the Lord will abundantly pardon. My thoughts about pardon are not your thoughts. That's the context. My thoughts about how to do compassion are not the same as man's thought, the human thought as to how to do compassion. The way I do compassion, the way I bequeath mercy, the way I extend kindness is so far above the way humans think that it's not even a worthy comparison. Don't insult me, as if the Lord is saying, by trying to compare my kind of mercy with human kind of mercy. Even if it's, and he's saying, a wicked man, an unrighteous man, not as he is, unrepentant, unchanged, but wanting to stop going that way, just let him turn and come home. And I will have compassion and I will abundantly pardon. He restores, he restores. Some of the greatest psalms, most warm, tender-hearted, God-exalting psalms in the, in the whole book of Psalms were written by David after Bathsheba, after this event. He didn't stay hard-headed. That hard head became a broken heart. And he was home. He was home. He was home.